Happy Wednesday. Excuse me. Hope you guys are having a good day. We'll wait a few seconds to let everybody get caught up. Let me check to see if everything's streaming. Yeah. So, Michaela, how are you? So, so, this, if you guys don't mind, go ahead and tag and share. I would appreciate that greatly. Uh, go ahead and tag and share. All right, we got that one going. Hello, hello, hello. What's up, Eugene? How's everybody? So, Joshua, how are you this evening? You guys, please go ahead and tag and share. And we're going to get started right at 8.30. Yep, right at 8.30. Hope you guys have taken some time this week to breathe. and Just make sure you stay in the Word. Keep yourself encouraged. Don't overwhelm yourself with social media and news. Know when to step away. Grab my announcements. While people are getting on, we'll do a couple of announcements. Uh, this Friday, and we'll do these again at the end, but this Friday uh, is Marriage Essentials. So if you are a human being that's alive, that desires to be in a relationship, already in a relationship, already married or committed and I encourage you to sign up for Marriage Essentials. It is $25. Um, I know we throw out that term life-changing a lot, but it really is a practical, life-changing, uh, I mean not small group, but sit-down discussion with Pastor Edwin and Pastor Sean who's been married over two decades and have lots of experience on how to navigate communication and other issues that oftentimes people uh, struggle with within their marriage. Um, it's for singles, it's for married people, it's for divorced people. It's practically for anybody that desires to be uh, in a married relationship. And so I encourage you to uh, sign up for that. It's $25, it'll be well worth it this Friday. Um, uh, this Friday. And so you can go to SeanStrickland.com, I believe, and sign up for it. Uh, and I think we could probably get it posted uh, on the Fellowship of Champions page if you guys navigate your way over there, if you're watching from my uh, personal page. All right. So how you guys been? Have a good day? What's up, Centris? I, I'm, I always mess it up. Uh, what's up, St. Teresa? I hope you're having a uh, good day. Uh, what's up, Miss H? How are you? What's up, Dad? How are you today? 
hope you guys are finding opportunities to laugh and, and to enjoy life too. I mean, like I said, don't 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 get overwhelmed with everything. Learn to just take a breath, walk away. Take a breath and walk away. Alright. By my watch, I have 8.30. So I'm going to give it about two more minutes and then uh, we're going to get started because we're going to need our entire hour today to make it through what we're going to be talking about today, which is pride and humility. Uh, glad, Joshua, you had a pretty good day. Um, good, Miss H, glad that you're cool. But you guys are tag and share. We're going to get started. I mean, people can re rewatch it later if they desire to do so but uh we're gonna be respectful of your time tonight hey malaya and for my fellowship of champions people uh hey if you want to volunteer to be an ignite teacher we're still looking for a couple of ignite people to volunteer so if that's you uh just send me a message or something so that we can make sure that we have teachers for our Ignite online uh, as we continue to roll that out for our teams. Tomorrow will be the first service for Ignite online. Uh, so Teresa will be teaching that via Zoom. All the information you need, if you got a teenager and they want to join it, go to uh, focchurch.com. Uh, uh, in the top right corner, hit VZ Ignite, and then it'll take you to the Ignite lesson as well as the link to access uh, the Zoom tomorrow. So if you have a teenager, uh, join a small group tomorrow uh, so that they can participate. Well, all right, so respecting time, let's get going. Father God, we thank you that you are Lord and that you're sovereign. We thank you that you reign, that your, your grace is sufficient, Father. We thank you for your mercy, your willingness to get involved in our life. And we thank you for joy, and an abundance of peace. We thank you that you you wrap your loving arms around us and that you keep us safe, that you protect us, that no harm will come nigh us, Father. We thank you that our families are safe, Father, and, and that we are good. We thank you that your prosperity overflows in our life. And God, we thank you for your word and that it's hidden in our heart, God, so that we may not sin against thee. We thank you that the word that we're here today, God, that you will open our ears and eyes of understanding so that we may hear and see the word the way you have it, so it may most be beneficial to our lives. We thank you that we'll be self-reflective tonight, Father, over what this word means to us, God, and how it applies to our life. We pray that your kingdom will be manifested in our life and that we will be not just hearers of the word, but doers also. We thank you for it. And now in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So let me get a drink and let's get started. Amen. So today we're going to be talking about pride and humility. Um, and, and here's a quote from Jay Stott. Pride is your greatest enemy. Humility is your greatest friend. And as we talk tonight, I'm going to give you several examples of pride and, and how pride and the enemy uses it in such a uh, cunning way that sometimes that we could be, be in pride and not even realized. I think I posted on Facebook, pride is much like hypertension. It's a silent killer. Because we know the Bible says that pride goes before the fall. 
And what pride does is it sneaks in deceitfully into your life and you'll be walking in pride and not realizing not and not understanding why the blessings, why the benefits of God's goodness are not showing up in your life. You'll be walking around um, thinking more highly of yourself than you ought uh, because of pride. And so what I want to do tonight is to dive deep into the understanding of pride and how it can discreetly destroy the life of a believer. And I have written out almost all my notes so I can make sure that I don't get too excited, but I have word to share with you. So I want to make sure I'm able to walk it out. And so, but we'll always yield to the Holy Spirit and do whatever he says to do. And and if you want those note takers or anything like that, if you inbox me, I'll send you the notes. It's no big deal. But I want you guys to hear the word tonight. Human pride directly undermines everything God created us to do. Pride undermines everything God created us to do. The Bible condemns pride, proud men and women. In Proverbs 16 and 5, it states, The Lord detests the pride, proud. They will surely be punished. The Lord detests the proud. They will surely be punished. Why does the Lord feel so strongly about pride? Why? Because pride takes you out of his image and removes you from his likeness. When I operate in pride, it takes me out of the image of God and it removes me from his likeness. What pride does, and we'll talk about this down the line, pride causes you to become disgraced. That word dis means to reverse. So what pride does, it reverses everything that grace does. Pride takes you out of grace. It disgraces you. It takes you out of his likeness. Pride removes Christ as Lord and makes you God of yourself. When you walk in, when you walk in pride, you what you do is remove Christ as Lord and you make God, you make yourself God of your own life. We were created to reflect God's glory and majesty in the earth. We were made to house the Holy Spirit. But when we operate in pride, we surrender God and his resources. Every time I choose to operate in God, I am making a conscious choice to surrender to, to surrender God and his resources, to turn away from him and cease to reflect his character in the earth. And so I can't be in pride and also be surrendering to God. I can't be in pride and also benefit from the resources that God has for me. Because when I'm in pride, I turn away from God and I cease to reflect his character in the earth. We erect images of ourselves and make us God of our own lives. So when I begin to operate in pride, I tear down God and I begin to erect images of myself and my life as God. Because you know that's what they did in the old in the Old Testament. When 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 they had a God, they'll build an image or a statue to represent that. And so what pride does, it causes us to erect images of ourselves because we make ourselves God of our own lives. In our current society, pride is embraced. It's a virtue. However, pride is kryptonite to the Christian. It it weakens us by removing our source of strength, Christ, and making us an ordinary ordinary human. So when I begin to operate in price, it strips away 
and pride, it strips away Christ. And we understand that Christ gives us the supernatural ability to operate in the earth. So that when I begin to operate in pride, what I do is it's like kryptonite. It weakens my ability to perform. It weakens God's ability to do what he's already, to, to manifest what he's already finished. Why? Because when I'm in pride, I am no longer centered on God, but I am centered on myself. In this human state, the enemy, tribulations, trials, and obstacles have their way with us because we have relinquished the source of victory, which is God. So when I begin to walk in pride, what it causes me to do is to step out of the supernatural, to step out of the spiritual, and to operate in flesh. And when I begin to operate in flesh, what it does in this human state of flesh, I then allow the enemy, tribulations, trials, obstacles to have their way in my life because I have relinquished the source of victory, which is Christ. The Bible tells us that we are promised victory where? In Christ. But you can't be in pride and also be in Christ. Now, am I saying you, you can be prideful and saved? That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is you can't expect the best from God and operate in pride at the same time. You can't expect the best from God and make your make you be God of your own life. Pride reverses. Pride disgraces. Remember? Pastor Elton put it on there. Pride disgraces. What does that word mean? It reverse it reverses the effects of grace in your life. Not that grace isn't available, but because you have stepped out of being in Christ and you have stepped into your flesh. What pride does is reverses the impact of grace and you put yourself back under the law. So that's what pride does. And over time, pride erodes our soul and hinders our intimacy with God and love for other people. And we'll get to it later, but we'll talk about how pride hinders. I mean, pride is one of the biggest issues now that we're experiencing with why people can't love other people. Why people can't love people that don't look like them. Why people can't do that. Why? That, that's just an issue of pride. That's an issue of you saying, God, I understand what you expect from me, but I also understand what I'm willing to do. It's saying that I am big enough to control my own life. And so we have to understand that. So let's get, let's go to Matthew 22, 34 through 37. All right. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. He says, this is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and all the prophets hang on these commandments. And so if you can think about two trees being planted in a park, right? One of those trees is love thy God and the other tree is to love thy neighbor. And if you can tie a hammock to those two trees, everything else fits inside of that hammock and it hangs by the support of loving God with all of your mind and with all of your soul and loving your neighbor as yourself. Everything else is everything is supported by in that hammock by the fact that you love God and love your neighbor. 
In the Passion Translation, I'll read verse 37 again. Jesus answered him, Love the Lord your God with every passion of your heart, with all of the energy of your being, and with every thought that's within you. God says, everything you got, I want it. That's what your love should look like towards God. Everything you got, all your energy, all your passion, every thought that's within you should be directed towards loving God. And it says, this is the great and supreme commandment. And the second is likened to it. You must love your friend. How, I mean, you must love your friend. This is passion translation. It doesn't say neighbor. It says friend in the same way you love yourself. You cannot love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and be prideful at the same time. To love God is to surrender your soul, your mind, your will, your imagination, your emotion, and your, and your intellect. To love God means to surrender that. To love God means to submit, yield your will to a superior force, to his ways and not your ways. So when I love God, I have to be submissive. And see, when we talk about that word humility later... We'll get to what humility means when it means to submit. But we have to submit ourselves to the word of God through our energy, through our thoughts, and through our minds. To fulfill the greatest commandment requires a humble heart, not one of pride. So you can't be prideful and love God with your whole heart. Why? Because anytime I'm prideful, I cannot make God the sinner because pride makes me the sinner. I can't make God the center, center, C-E-N-T-E-R. Pride doesn't allow me to make God the center. God becomes peripheral. God becomes a thing that, out, that we don't abort, but he becomes a thing on the outside because pride makes me the center. It makes me, I self-exalt myself to the person that I am able to control me and I don't really need God because God is what? He's peripheral. That's what pride does. And there is no way you can love to complete the greatest commandments if you can't love God with all your heart. And there's no way you're going to love your neighbor if you ain't even loving God. Because it's the love of God being shed abroad in your heart that even gives you the ability to love other people unconditionally. So here's a conflict. Your pride will now allow you to submit to the will of the Father in order to love others, especially those that don't look like you. Pride has eroded your soul and caused you to embrace self over others, your will over God's will. So what pride does, we'll get to how pride operates in a minute. But what pride's design, what pride does is it comes into your life. It, it kind of just sneaks in there real cunningly. And before you know it, you're operating in it, sometimes not even knowing that you're operating in it. Like I said, kind of like hypertension, hypertension or high blood pressure is a silent killer. Why? Because so many people have it, they don't treat it. And before you know it, the thing gone untreated, it begins to cause what? Death. And that's why the Bible says pride goes before the fall. The Bible says pride brings disgrace. The Bible says pride brings destruction. Why? Because pride is something that comes from the enemy. And anything that comes from the enemy is designed to do what? To steal, to kill, and destroy. How does it steal? It steals the word of God from your life. Caught manipulating the word of God, and we'll get to when we get to Eve, how Eve was manipulated, how she how how doubt and unbelief, and because you've got to realize in the garden, doubt and unbelief wasn't even present. It wasn't even anything that had been heard of. But 
But Eve succumbed to that, not even knowing. Why? Because pride is cunning. And so what we have to understand is uh, pride will cause you to put your will over God's will. Because that's what it is. Pride is self-exaltation. God, I know you're good, but I'm going to put you on the peripheral, right? Like right now, y'all can't see my hand, but I can see my hand, but it's not what's guiding me. It's on the edge. And so we don't abort God while we're in pride, but what we do is exalt ourselves through presumption that we're actually serving God, but really we're serving our flesh. We're not really doing what God wants us to do. We're really doing what we want to do, trying to make it seem like what God asks us to do. We're lying to ourselves. And so let's keep going. Let's define, well, let me read this for you. Humility, on the other hand, is how we become reflections of God's glory. It is how we are able to love God with every passion of our heart, with all of our energy, and everything that's within us. It is how we move to a place of loving our neighbor, our friend, as we love ourselves. Humility is submitting my will to the will of the Father and the voice of the Spirit. Humility is submitting my will to the voice of the to the Father and the voice of the Holy Spirit. Humility is loving your enemy even when you don't feel like it. Humility is loving your enemy even when you don't think they deserve it. Humility is apologizing to your spouse even when you know you're not wrong. Humility is, is submitting your will to your pastor even though you're a grown man or woman. So humility is saying, God, I'll put you first and anything else doesn't really matter because I know without you, I'm nothing. Humility is being humble enough to obey even to death on the cross. That is what humility looks like. And so we, so many times, presume to be humble while being full of pride. We presume to be humble while still yet being full of pride. So what is pride? Pride is an attitude of self-sufficiency, self-importance, and self-exaltation in relation to God. Pride is an attitude of self-sufficiency, of self-importance, and self-exaltation in relationship to God. Pride towards others is an attitude of contempt where you feel that a person or a thing is beneath consideration, worthless or discerning scorn. See, and that's why, let's just say it for what it is, a bunch of white people, they feel a pride. A racist people, let me rephrase, a racist people are full of pride. Why? Because they have an attitude of contempt. They feel that people Black people, minorities, are beneath consideration. They're worthless and they deserve scorn. White, I mean, racist people, including white people, uh, in the church, including pastors, including deacons, including missionaries, including apostles, including everybody else you want to name, they allow pride. It is pride that keeps them from supporting uh, the people that they see oppressed. It is pride that keeps them from carrying out Luke 4 and 18. It is pride that causes them to be more 
concerned with their reputation, more concerned with the opinions of other people, more concerned with how it will impact their money coming into their church, more concerned with, with what other people will consider them. It is pride that causes them to be in contempt to supporting people that are oppressed. It's pride. And then it says, an attitude of contempt and indifference. And then they just not interested. They not concerned. There is no sympathy and it's unimportant because at the end of the day, they may have started out being humble. They have not started out submitting their will to God. They may have been like Isaiah, who as long as he sought God and as long as he sought his, his man of God, he did right. But when he got to the point where he thought he could sustain himself, that's when he crumbled because pride snuck in and he depending on himself. He thought he could do it on his own. And we got so many pastors. We got so many men and women of God. We got so many Christians sitting in the peers. We got so many people who say they love God, but like hypertension, pride is silently destroying their witness for God because they're not standing up for Luke 4 and 18. They're not defending the poor. They're not freeing the oppressed. Why? Because their pride has entered in. They're in contempt and they are indifferent. And so we have to deal with pride so that we can fulfill the will of the Father for our lives. So let's go to Ezekiel 28, verses 12 through 17. It says, you are the model of perfection, full of wisdom. And see, we're going to read about how, how, how Lucifer, how pride entered into Lucifer's life. And it caused him to be kicked out of heaven. It caused him to be removed from the very thing that God designed him to do. Because if you're not careful, you will be blessed by God. He will take you to stages that you never thought that you'll be able to stand on. He will put you in houses that you never thought you could live in. He will let you drive cars that you never thought you would drive. He will see money in your bank account that you never thought would ever add up into your bank account. And if you're not careful, you will allow the blessings of God to cause you to enter into pride, self-edification, self-exaltation, self-sufficiency, and self-importance, and your pride will cause you to fall, and the very thing that God blessed you with, you'll lose it all, just like Lucifer. So in Ezekiel 28, it says, you were the model of perfection. He's talking about Lucifer. Lucifer, Lucifer was full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Say he was beautiful. He was wise, and he was perfect. It says, you were in Eden, the garden of God. You were anointed as a garden, guardian cherub. And I'll let you research cherub, but they, these were, he was the most powerful angel. G, uh, Lucifer had it. God said, I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in what? Disgrace. I reversed the grace. God says, I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and I expelled you, O guardian chair, from among the fiery stones. 
your heart became proud on account of your beauty on account and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to earth, says God, and I made a spectacle of you before the kings. So here you got Lucifer. Lucifer, he's the most beautiful thing out there. He is wise. He has power. He is perfect. The Bible said, I mean, God says that he was blameless. He says, but your heart became proud on account of your beauty. And you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. What just happened? Right? Lucifer, perfect. Lucifer, wise. Lucifer, beautiful. Right? What just happened? From angel to fallen, from splendor to ashes, from grace to disgrace. These are the results of pride for Lucifer. Lucifer had it all going from him. Beauty, wisdom, access, splendor. Anything he needed, he had. And God had given it all to him. Why would someone who has it all forfeit it? Because, because of pride and the way that it enters into your heart cunningly. And if you don't guard your heart, you will end up walking in pride, not even desiring to do so. It says that the death of Lucifer's heart was a seed of selfishness. His beauty and perfection led to his corruption. The very things God gave him through his own perversion led to his demise. And so what we have to understand is, I love what Pastor, Pastor Edwin used to say, Lord, don't take me anywhere. My character can't sustain me. Why? What we're really saying is, God, I, I love your blessings. God, I love your wealth. God, I love your provision. But I will never allow the stuff you've given me to distract me from the source in which gives it all. I won't let resources become my God. And so that's what happened to Lucifer. He allowed resources. He allowed his beauty, his splendor. He allowed his access. He began to take what God blessed him with and become focused on that. And he said, oh, I look so good. They need to worship me. Oh, I got so much wisdom. They need to worship me. Some of those church folks, oh, because we're looking down on the people that's riding, right? We're looking down on the people that behave different from us, right? Why? That's just pride. It is pride that allows you to be indifferent and contempt towards another man because they behave different from you. You ain't no better than them, but that's pride coming through the enemy that makes you think that you are a better individual than somebody else based off their actions. And what you got to understand is pride, you must guard your heart against that pride. It says the very things God gave him through his own perversion led to his de demise. God blessed him with beauty and perfection, but he felt that he no longer needed to worship God, but people needed to worship him. He had, as they say in the church, he felt like he had arrived. He had, he had arrived. He was feeling his self. If I could use an old term, excuse my French, as my grandma was saying, would say, he, he, he was smelling his piss. I mean, he, he, he thought he was something bigger than he was. And see, what you don't understand is when you reach a point where you think you're something bigger than you are, I, God, through the way that he set things up, has will make sure that you will be humble. That's what the word says. He thought he was something that he wasn't. He says, unlike Jesus, who being in the form, 
God blessed him with the beauty and with perfection, but he felt that no longer needed to worship God, but people needed to worship him. I mean, think about it. How many times have you been blessed with something and your attitude changed? I mean, you prayed, you fasted, you gave, you did all of these things to get something, right? And then when you got the car, you was too good to let somebody else ride in the car. Pride. When you got the money that you God blessed you with, then you were too good to sow the money. Pride. When you got the house, that God bless you with, and it got more bedrooms than you will ever need, but you can't spare a bedroom for someone to stay in it. That's pride. Why? Because now you have to, you are just like Lucifer in the sense of you took something that God blessed you with, and then you converted it to your own, and then you said, I think I'm going to worship this house over God because even though God asked me to stay with them, God, they stink. They can't stay in my house. Even though God, you blessed with me this, you blessed me with this money. Now it's my money. And though you told me to sow, I'm going to keep it. God, I know you gave me the car. I know you told me to take them across town, but God, I don't feel like getting up. God, I don't feel like putting gas in my car. God, I don't feel like I owe it to them to move across. They can call an Uber for them. But God didn't ask you to cut them to call an Uber. He didn't ask you to pay for an Uber. He asked you to do it. But it is the pride of man that goes before the fall. So what we got to understand is you can't want it God's way. You can't want the goodness of God and then not be willing to do it God's way when you get it. You can't want the goodness of God and then think you're going to maintain it without being obedient. So let's keep going. See, unlike Lucifer was unlike Jesus, who being in the form of God. See, Lucifer wasn't even God. And so what we got to look at in Philippians 2 and 7, it says, Jesus, who been in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. So you got Lucifer, who ain't even God. You got Lucifer, who was created by God, who was given the splendor, who was given the beauty, who was given the perfect, blameless, being blameless, and who was a model perfection making himself God, and then you got Jesus, the perfect example of humility, who said who, who said this in Philippians 2 and 6, 2, 6 and 7, who being in the form of God, Jesus like, I am God. I am in the form of God. I don't even consider it robbery to be equal with God, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make myself of no reputation and I'm going to become a servant because that's what humility looks like. It doesn't care about status. It doesn't care about role. It doesn't care about anything. Humility is only concerned with fulfilling the will of the Father in the form of an obedient servant. And so Jesus, who could, who is just like God, humbled himself to become a servant. And that's the perfect example. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God, right? But made himself of no reputation. Jesus humbled himself. And so that's what you got. Nobody can humble you. You got to humble yourself. But if you are not willing to humble yourself, then pride will cause you to fall. And so let's take a look at what happened. It says, 
Today, God has made us in his image and in his likeness. He has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. He has given us Holy Spirit to reveal us to us in a complete understanding of his love so that we may drive out all fear and our faith will never fails us, fail us. Why do we give this up? Why will we give all these things up? Why don't we submit to God's will? Deep down, our flesh feels that we should honor ourselves and not God. We feel like though God created, though we were created by God, we have the ability to be God over our own life. We don't say it explicitly, but our actions speak loud even in the absence of words. Each act of independence, each decision, decision made contrary to his will, each refusal to adopt the mind of Christ, but instead rely on our own mind and make flesh our arm moves us into God and lessens God's ability to speak to us in our lives. These are the ways that pride is glaringly present in our lives. Deep down, our flesh feels that we should honor ourselves and not God. And so let's talk about it, all right? Let me get another sip. Man, okay. So let's talk about how Eve got deceived. Because I want to talk to you about how the deception of how uh, of how pride enters. Because as I was studying this, I was honestly amazed about the subtlety of how pride enters our life and how we could be operating in pride and not even understanding that we're operating in pride. How we can be wondering why blessings, wondering why things aren't manifesting in our lives, wondering why things aren't happening in the way they need to happen, wondering why our marriage isn't working and our kids aren't obeying, wondering why our boss isn't showing us no respect on our job and our coworkers either, wondering why our friends and things like that are happening. Baby, when pride enters in your life, it disgraces you. It reverses the impact of grace. And it's so important that we take time to be self-reflective and guard our heart. Because, I mean, think about this. And I know this. we'll be talking about this a couple weeks. So I'm not even going to rush. Like, I talk about myself. A lot of times, we exhibit pride in our identity. And so we have a form of who we think we should be. We take God and, 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 and oh, we take a God's mentality. We become self-sufficient in identifying our purpose, our plan, and the will for our lives. We abort the fact that God says, in your mother's womb, I knew you and I predestined you to a good life. We, 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 we ignore the fact that God knows all things and we know nothing. We ignore the fact that God is omniscient and we are so finite in our understanding. What we'll rather do is operate in pride concerning who we are in the earth. And so for me, that was a big place. I mean, I'll be honest with you. It wasn't my desire to be on Facebook teaching the word. It wasn't my desire to be making Facebook posts and things like that. It wasn't my desire to wake up and be involved. But what I finally did was to release the pride of trying to identify who I was for my own life. And I said, God, you be true. God, I will submit humbly 
obediently the person I have created in life. I submit him down. I cast that person down and I pick up the raft that you created. I pick up the boldness that you created. I pick up the authority that you created. I pick up the word that you created. I pick up the person that you created over there in Jeremiah 29 and 11. And so I was being prideful by trying to be somebody God never designed me to be. Why? Because I had become self-efficient. I had become self-important and I had self-exalted the person I felt like I should be instead of being the person that God called me to be. Some of us should just repent now. God, I throw down that person that I've created myself to be. God, I throw, God, I throw them down. God, you didn't create me to be quiet. You created me to speak out loud. You didn't create me to be shy. You created me to be bold. You didn't create me to fit in. You created me to be extraordinary. You didn't create me to be broke. You created me to be rich. You didn't create me to go to my job and be afraid to open my mouth because somebody may say something about me. You created me to be not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And what the good news says I do is that I liberate those that are oppressed. The good news says I go after healing for those that are diseased. The good news says that I am bringing freedom to those I liberate. That's what the good news says. But I want to allow an identity through pride that I created to keep me from walking out what God has called me to do. And so what we got to understand how pride enters in. And some of it is shaped from what your mama told you. Some of it is shaped from what your daddy told you. Some of it is shaped from when you're upbringing what big mama told you. But baby, the only identity that you should identify with, the only one that you should grasp is the one which God called you to be. And he says, don't be ashamed of the gospel. The too good to be true news. All right. So let's keep going. So let, this next part, uh, we're going to go to Genesis 3. I'm going to read for a second. It says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yeah, God has said, You should not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you should not eat of it. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, you should not surely die, for God does not know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you should be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and she and ye, ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil, sorry. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. Did y'all see what just happened? One minute she talking about, hey, God told me I couldn't eat it. And then in verse six, she talking about the tree is good for food. What in the world happened between verses two and verse six, right? Let's read verse 7. And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and sewed fig leaves, and made themselves aprons. Right? So let's talk about the process Satan took to convince Eve. And so as I was studying in this, it, it, I mean, see yourself as we talk about this. Number one. 
Satan used arrogant contradiction to God's word. Arrogant contradiction to God's word. Eve was like, Eve was like, uh, no, we don't supposed to eat from the tree. And the serpent came back and said, like, uh, and the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. He contradicted the word of God. So the first thing you got to understand right there, there is Satan understands the word and you got to know the word for yourself. So the first thing he did was say God's lying. He contradicted the word. Number two, the next thing he did, when, 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 the, when, when the arrogant contradiction to God's word took place, what it did, it created a space for Eve to reject the word of God. It created this space. So now Eve is saying, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you should not eat of it. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And then in verse four, the serpent said unto the woman, you should not surely die. He arrogantly, with pride, contradicted every single thing God had told them to do. And what it did, it created a space for rejection of God's word by Eve. And let's keep going. And verse, verse 5 says, For God does not know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes should be open and you should be as God's. What, what he did in contradicting the word, he told Eve that she could have by eating the tree something that she already possessed. She already possessed knowledge as God had knowledge. His spirit was living on the inside of her. She already had knowledge. She already had infinite information. She already had unlimited wisdom. Why? Because the Holy Ghost lived on the inside of her and God himself visited her multiple times per day. But what the enemy did in his contradiction, he says, no, you're not going to die. God's lying to you. He is trying to get you. He doesn't want you to be a God like him and be able to see everything that he sees. You got to know the word for yourself. You got to know the word for yourself. And so, and so it created a space for rejection of God's word. And then this space in verse five, it says, for God does not know that in the day that ye thereof, then your eyes shall be open and you shall be as God's knowing God and evil. And so Eve was like, whoa, I can be a God too. Not knowing that she already possessed the power that God had. Not knowing that her word already had power. Not knowing that her husband, just a little while ago, God had brought all the dirt to him and brought animals to God and, I mean, to Adam. And Adam, and God was like, Adam, what's this? And Adam said, it's a bird and it flew away. Not knowing the authority that she was just given in Genesis 1, where God says, have dominion, multiply, subdue, dominate. You already were God of the earth by design from your creator. But when you allow the enemy space in your life, it what happens is it gives you the ability for unbelief and doubt to enter. And see what we got to do. That was the third thing. 
So we got arrogant contradiction to the word of God. It created a space for the rejection of God's word. And then number three, it introduced Eve to unbelief and it gave birth, impregnated her with doubt. Eve had not, he hadn't even experienced what that was. She didn't even know what she was feeling. She didn't even know what she was experiencing at the time. Why? Because doubt and unbelief had not even entered the only, had not even entered the earth. It wasn't until the enemy contradicted the word, Eve stepped outside of God's will and considered herself to be a God. Unbelief and doubt entered, and she now considered herself to be independent from God. She considered herself to be independent from God. And so as she began to be independent from God, now she had stepped outside of the spirit. She had stepped outside of her identity. She had stepped outside of her design. What had happened was she had become disgraced. The reversal of everything that God had done for her had now been reversed because she was not operating under the authority of the king, under the authority of the governor, which is God and the Holy Spirit. She had stepped outside and become Eve, God of her own life. She had inner pride. And so number four, it made case that God didn't have her best interest in mind because when I become independent of God, then I am now king. Sorry, uh, if I had a call, sorry. Uh, so hopefully FOC y'all back. So it's, she stepped into herself and she was independent of God, right? And so now she made the case that God didn't have her best interest in mind. She started to wonder if my creator who put me in this lush place, who created the earth for my blessing, for the manifestation of goodness, so I could worship and be with him, did he have my best interest in mind? And I'm going I'm to I'm let y'all say out on that because a lot of us have been there. We have seen God raise people, heal people from the sick. We have, seen, we, have, we have witnessed testimonies of God raising people from the dead. We have seen God pay light bills. We have seen God buy brand new cars. We have seen God heal marriages. We have seen God bring disobedient kids back into alignment of obedience. We have seen God perform just like Eve but yet she considered that her creator didn't have her best interest in mind he doesn't he, she felt like he didn't want her to experience her best life. She felt like, see, pride takes you down through that. That's why it leads you to destruction. She felt like God was holding out on her. Now, you got to understand it's just Adam and it's Eve. You got to understand that there are rivers, multiple ways of provision. You got to understand that they're watering the earth from the ground. You got to understand that there are rubies, there are diamonds, there's jewels all around the garden. You got to understand that there's more food than they can ever need. That anything they can imagine is present and it's good to their eyes. And she yet wondered, was God holding out on her? Because pride takes you to a place where you're bored 
all of your godly senses. You abort anything spiritual and you are drugged through destruction by your own flesh, considering that a creator that put everything in the earth for you would now be holding out on you. So what did this do? It undermined her confidence in God. So at this point, she's feeling, Satan's talked to him, God, you won't surely die, right? God does not know that, you know that God, for God does not know that in the day you eat of it, you're going to, it's good for food. Your eyes will be open and you'll be God's just like God. You'll know good and evil. And then verse six, now this is all what transgressed. Now in verse six, look what happened. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired, what in the world is now desirable? It's now good for food. It is now pleasant to eyes. She took and ate and gave it to her husband. Why? Because when we slip into pride, it changes our perspective. Number five, when she, she it undermined her confidence in four. And number five, it led to a new perspective that was never considered. It led to a new perspective that was never considered. Pride changes the lens on how you see life. It says the desire to lift up and exalt herself beyond the place God created her. She was now confused and deceived and open to possibilities outside of God. She looked at the forbidden fruit in a different perspective. Now, where it was once forbidden, now it was good for food. Now, once it was ugly and, un uh, and unsightly, it was pleasant to her eyes. Why? Because pride changes your perspective. It takes God from center and places our flesh in center. And our flesh is dumb. Our flesh is ignorant. Our flesh is stupid. And our flesh always seeks itself, which ends up in destruction. That's why the Bible says, Cursed is a man that makes flesh his arm. Why? Because what's a curse? It's an empowerment to fail. So anytime I step outside of God, I operate in pride, it changes my perspective, flesh becomes the center of my life, God goes to the per peripheral, and flesh is now empowering me to fail, and I will always seek destruction when I find my own way and depend on myself. So number seven, I mean, so yeah, number six, new perspective gave way for rationalization of a forbidden thing becoming acceptable. Lastly, number seven, she acted in autonomy. She acted in autonomy. She said, look, I'm about to eat this thing. Why? It's good to see. It's good for food. It's pleasant to my eyes. It's going to make me wise. And I'm not just going to eat it. And I'm going to give my husband some of it. Right? I'm going to give my husband some of it. Why? Because when you begin to act in pride, it is never in isolation. And see, that's the thing that the enemy tries to get us to deceive us. It, he tries to make us think that the sin that we partake in, the decisions that we make, the things that we do, outside the will of God is done in isolation. But nothing you do 
as a God in this earth, as a born again believer, is done in isolation. Either anything you do, every decision that you make, it is either building kingdom or destroying kingdom. It's either it is, it is either fulfilling the Great Commission or it's turning the Great Commission down. It is either promoting the gospel or it's destroying the gospel. It's either making God look good or it's either making God look bad. But nothing we do as born-again believers is done in isolation in a vacuum. It always has a whip, ripple effect on those that are surrounded by us. And so she acted in autonomy. She aborted God due to being weakened by unbelief, enticed by pride, and ensnared by her own self-deception. I'll say that one more time. She aborted God due to being weakened by unbelief, enticed by pride, and ensnared by her own self-deception. Drunk and, 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 and you're like, what are we talking about? Let's go look in the word on this. Let's go to James 1, 14 and 15. Y'all know what to say. But every man is tempted where? When he is drawn away of his own lust and what? Enticed. Then when lust has conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. Now, let me read that out of different translation. Let's go to the message. What time is it? All right, 9.22. The temptation to give in to evil comes from us and only us. We have no one to blame but the leering, seducing flare-up of our own lust. Lust gets pregnant and has a baby, sin. Sin grows up to adulthood and becomes a real killer. Now, How did Eve get to the point? Man, it's good. It's 923. I'm just going to keep teaching for a little while. How did Eve, where did this lust come from? It says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when lust uh, has conceived, it brings forth sin. Where in the world in Eve's body where there's lust? Well, what did the enemy consume when Christ sent him to the earth? God says the enemy shall consume the dirt of the earth. What was Adam and Eve made out of? It was made out of the dirt. The dirt, the flesh in itself had, had sin had within it, had pride within it. Because if God created her, right, from Adam, Adam was made from the flesh, Eve didn't even understand what was in her. It was the introduction of the arrogant contradiction to God's word. It was the creating the space for rejection. It was that gave birth to unbelief. Let's read the word again. The temptation to give into evil comes from us. So that temptation to even eat of that tree had to come from within Eve herself. She didn't know it resided there. But when the enemy, we allow the enemy to talk to us, it would give birth. He impregnated her with doubt, which seduced a flare-up of lust, 
which gave birth to sin. And that's the importance of why we have to guard our heart, that why we have to condemn every word, why we got to speak what God says and we got to do what God says because if we are not careful, we'll be Eve. It says, from this point forward, we see pride, unbelief, and doubt present throughout the Bible. We see people acting in autonomy instead of relying on God. Autonomy is a clear indication of pride. To become autonomous, we must suppress the knowledge of God. You can't even become autonomous without suppressing the knowledge of God. You must silence the voice of the Holy Spirit and you must exalt yourself more than you do God. Over time, this continued process of erosion causes intimacy to be, to causes erosion and intimacy with God because number one, we make God small. Number two, we make us big. Number three, we make our dependence moves from God to self. And number four, we, get, we move God from the center to the peripheral. Now I'm going to slow down and I'm going to go back. To become autonomous, we must suppress. See, it takes work to become prideful. Eve had to sit there and consider what the word says. That's why the Bible tells us there is therefore no condemnation that is overtaking you, that is not coming to man, but for every temptation, he'll give us a way of what? Escape. Eve could have opened her mouth and said what God has said. Eve could have called in help from Adam. Eve could have called on the Lord. Eve could have did a whole lot of things, but what Eve did was entertain the enemy. Say that. Say, I won't entertain anything that's not like God. So, so over time, pride erodes intimacy with God because we make God smaller. When you're prideful, you are the sinner and, 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 and you're the idol, right? God can't be God. You can't, the Bible tells us, you can't serve two gods. You're going to love one more than the other, right? We, when you're in pride, you are the God that you love the most. So we minimize God, but we maximize us. And when we maximize ourselves, self-importance and self-confidence increases. Self-importance and self-confidence increases. We become self-dependent. Our dependent moves from God to self, and we become the center of our own world. We become the center of our own world. We make ourselves an idol. We exalt ourselves to the point where we are bigger than God and what we think is better than God and how we plan is better than God and the direction we should go in is better than God. Why? Because God is no longer the center. He is in the peripheral. Because presumption doesn't allow us to abort God completely because at the time, we want to make sure he's around because we're going to make it seem like we're serving God, but really pride is causing you to serve yourself. Why? Because you're the center of your world. And honestly, if y'all need to leave, y'all can leave. I'm going to teach for a little longer. God moved to, we don't abandon him completely, but he is in the clear. 
And this cycle creates a space where we do not exalt God, but we exalt ourselves. We move from loving God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our energy, and with all of our thoughts to a place of arrogance and abuse that harms us and it harms other people. We move from loving God with all our heart and others to a place of arrogance and abuse that harms us and other people. And you, and, and you may be like, well, what does this look like, Ralph? How do we do this? All right, let me tell you what is it, what it looks like. It looks like leaders refusing to listen to God, but instead seeking power fame, and self-exaltation. It looks like spouses centering themselves within the marriage and allowing the enemy to impregnate them with perspectives of blame, with perspectives of deceit, with perspectives of doubt, and with the lens of divorce. Humility submits. When God says stay in the marriage, you stay in the marriage. Not because you trust your spouse, but because you trust God and that he has come so that you may have a life and a life more abundantly. Hallelujah. Humility submits. When God says stay, you stay. Not because you trust your spouse. Not because you trust your job. Not because you, 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 you trust the economy. Not because you trust some person. But you stay because you trust God and that he has your best interest in mind. So many people abort their marriage because they are so busy with pride. They have centered themselves in their marriage. It is all about them. It is all about the other person. They the ones that's messed up. And what happened is when pride becomes your lens and you operate in autonomy, you begin to make decisions that you feel through your flesh is best for you but leads to destruction. See, see, I mean, April was talking about this when I was going on. I wish she, I told her one day she needed to come teach with me, teach with me because she had some good input, right? Uh, but we took about about year three. We had we went through some stuff, and when we was going through stuff, it was God that said stay. It did wasn't that April trusted me. I trusted April, but it was a fact that God said stay. It, we, you got to humble yourself to trust God enough to know that he's big enough, know that he's strong enough, know that he's wise enough, and to know that he has your best interest in mind, that if he tells you to stay, that it's only for your good. That's why the Lord says, those that come to me must believe that I am, and I am a rewarder of those that diligently to seek me. I have come that you may have life and that you may have that life, what? More abundantly. It is my good pleasure to give my kids the kingdom. You have the access to the Holy Spirit to teach you all things. You got to know that God's on your side. Humility submits. 
It is, and we're still talking about marriages. It is what leads you to apologizing even when you're not right. See, that's pride that's entered your life that's keeping you right now that's telling your husband to sleep on the couch or telling your wife to sleep in another room. That's pride that's entered your life that's causing you to operate in unforgiveness. Why? Because you have made yourself your own God. You have made yourself the idol in your marriage. You have not, you have refused to exercise humility, to obey what God has said concerning what you need to do to restore your marriage. And as long as you think your God is going to always fail, not even because it's the intention of God, not even because it was your spouse's fault. It was you lacking the humility to say, God, I submit my flesh to you. I can't stand this man, God. I can't stand this woman, God, but I trust you, Father, that if you say stay, I'll stay. I trust you enough, God, that if you said this is the job that you told me to come to, I'll stay here even in the midst of everything in my life, looking at me on this job, looking contrary to what I have, I thought I desire, God, I trust you enough, creator, father, blesser, that I'll do what you said do. Humility is this. It is what leads you to counseling and asking for help when your flesh says you're grown and you can handle it on your own. I, I'm going to stay here on this marriage thing for a little second. In your relationship. See, see, that's pride that tells you. Now, and, 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 and I'm just going to say that as it is. And, and, and you guys can just take it. You're using, you're, you're using depression. You're using past events. You're using things in your life that may have been horrific, Right? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not casting anything down on what, what struggles you have, but what happens, pride will come so cunningly into your life and, and, and you know, you will need help to overcome things. You'll know that you need access to something outside of yourself, but what pride does, well, it'll say that this, I'm grown and I can handle it on my own. Pride will make you feel like you're self-sufficient. Why? Because what is pride's job? Pride is brings disgrace. Pride brings destruction. So if pride can get you to isolate yourself, to get you to think that you can handle it on your own, to get you to lock out your pastors, to get you to lock out your friends, to get you to lock out your spouses, to get you to lock out your family, to get you by your spouse, yourself, pride will cause you to be depressed and want to kill yourself. Pride will drag you down through the deepest pits of hell because it doesn't even care about you. But it will isolate you. That is pride that causes you to feel like that you go through life without help. Even Jesus needed help, baby. And without the Holy Spirit, he couldn't have done anything that he had done. How is Jesus needing access to the Holy Spirit and existence, assistance from him, the Holy Spirit, and you being man, not even God, don't need help? Don't let pride kill you because it will kill you. And this is this is probably where we'll stop today, but it needs to be talked about. Well, we got th two more. So if y'all can hang on for a second, 
We'll we'll wrap up in a second. What is what is uh pride looks like? Failing to love other people. Failing to love other people. Pride makes everything about you. Pride causes you to center yourself in every situation and distorts perspective. That's why I, I'm gonna keep saying the way I'm saying because I, I just I'm just saying white people and racists are able to 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 just center themselves in every situation. You talking about a man who died, who black people getting shot. We're talking about oppression. We're talking about systematic re racism. But how in the world does 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 white people always have the always have the ability to center themselves within a situation that has nothing to do with them? Because they prideful. Because pride is only ever concerned about itself. It centers the person. It distorts the perspective. Pride makes you larger than other people. Pride makes you put all importance and value on yourself. Pride, listen to this, blinds you to empathy. Pride blinds you to empathy. Why? Because you can't empathize because it takes the view off yourself. Selah, you while in pride, you are incapable of exhibiting empathy because to exhibit empathy requires me to take myself from the center of my own view. You can't empathize because it takes the view off you. And that's why racists can do what they can do. That's why people can go in every situation and all they see is themselves. That's why when, even when in your marriage, your spouse trying to bring up something to you and you always find yourself being the victim, you always find yourself being the one that needs the help. It is because you are full of pride and pride is incapable of seeing and empathizing because it can't take the view off itself. And so Lord, forgive us for being prideful people. And, that, and that's even how as black people, you can look at our ancestors who rioted, who gave their life, who endeared, who endeared all those things. And you can say, well, I if I lived during that time, it would have been different or blah, 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 because your pride prohibits you from empathizing and understanding what it took to live in the time that they live in, to sacrifice what they sacrificed, to commit their lives, their time, their money, their energy, their thoughts, to love their brother as they love themselves, to, to operate in humility. Why? Because to do that requires that you take the view off yourself. And so what we got to understand is pride is designed to cause us to fail and that we have to throw down pride. We have to guard our hearts. And this last one, and, and, and we will be done. We'll just, we'll just pick up next week. We'll, we'll just make a series out of this. Uh, is number four, a failure to submit the leadership. A failure to submit to leadership. And if you're on the FOC page, I want you to hang on. If you could just hang on. I know it's a little later. A failure to submit to leadership. You're incapable of submitting to leadership simply because you don't think you should.
You don't think you have to. You don't think you need to. But I will tell you a little story about Isaiah and 2 Chronicles 26. And this, if you're on my personal page, keep listening. It's good. It could bless you. But if you're on the FOC page and you're a partner, whether virtually or, or, or physically, I want you to listen to this. Your pride will cause you to fail. But while a failure to submit to leadership is one of the reasons that so many people fail in life. And we're going to use Isaiah in 2 Chronicles 26 as our biblical reference for this. Isaiah made, was, was, was appointed king at age 16, and he was a king for 52 years in Jerusalem. Isaiah pleased God and followed his father's footsteps, right? Zechariah was his spiritual father, per se, or his advisor. And as long as Isaiah listened to God, and as long as Isaiah listened to Zechariah, all was well. It says, the Bible says God helped Isaiah win many battles. He was a great farmer. He had a great army and everything. In verse 16, it says, Isaiah became strong and he grew what? Arrogant. It says he went into the temple himself and he got, and so Isaiah at this point, he got all this money. He got all these things that's going on. He's been blessed beyond measure. And his, his, his statue, his strength became arrogance. And this brother went into the temple to burn incense. He knew he was supposed to call the priest to come in there and burn them incense, but he was smelling himself. He was full of pride. He had arrived at this point. And so he went into the temple and he got the lighter in his hand and he about to burn incense. And Azariah and 80, 80, 80 other priests tried to stop him. But Isaiah, he resisted. He said, no, I'm good. I got this. I have millions. I have acreage. I have farms. I have battles that I've won that nobody can explain. I have all this stuff. I can enter in and I can do this myself. And the priest was like, no. And it says he got so offended. He got angry with the priest. And then look what happened. His skin broke out in disease. Why? Because his pride caused him to be disgraced. His pride caused him to enter destruction. So what can we all learn from Isaiah? Follow God and hearken to his word. But this is what I need you to understand. Regardless of how you feel about it, Submit to your spiritual advisors. Submit to your man and woman of God. Submit to the prophet of the house. Why? Because in 2 Chronicles 20 and 20 it says, Believe in your Lord God, you'll be established. But believing in prophets, so shall you prosper. You wondering why things in your life aren't going the way they should go. Because you, just like Isaiah, you rolled out the word from Pastor Edwin and Pastor Strickland, long, Pastor Sean and Pastor Strickland, long enough to arrive at a place that you brought that car. Long enough to give a tithe. Long enough to move into a house. Long enough to come out of depression. Long enough to get your marriage right. But now, baby, you are smelling yourself. Now you can't arrive at church on time. Now you can't volunteer in ministries. 
Now you can't come and commit to fulfilling the mission of the church, making sure that people walk in love, live by faith, and experience God's prosperity in every area of your life. When you have felt like you arrived and pride has entered your heart and you no longer hearken to your man of God, the prophet of the house, what happens is destruction enters and disgrace occurs. The reversal of grace. So partners of FOC, I beseech you to hearken to the man and woman of God of the house. You got to love their word when it's pleasant to your flesh and you got to embrace the word even stronger when it's not. Because if you're not careful, the enemy will come in to steal your humility by causing you to be just like Eve. He would say, Pastor Evan didn't really mean you had to be there at 915. He didn't really mean that he, he wanted volunteers to help in, in ministries. You don't really got to do that. And then before you know it, you're going to create space to reject the man and woman of God's word for the house as a partner. And after you create the space to entertain the word where the enemy is saying that, hey, you don't got to be on time. It'll be okay. You don't got to volunteer because everybody doesn't have to commit. You don't got to give your tithes like every time. I mean, I know he asked us to, to give to the scholarship fund, but I mean, you really do need that new coach purse and I mean, or that new Louis purse. So you don't really got to, to do that. Why? Because now he's creating space in your life so that you can reject the word. And if you reject the word, what's going to happen? You're going to begin to doubt the word. You're going to begin to have unbelief. And what's going to happen, your perspective will begin to change. And then you're going to go see it no longer necessary to come to things. When, you, when your spiritual parents tell you to, you're going to no longer see it necessary to hearken to the prophet of the house. And then you're going to wonder why things dry up in your life. It's simply because when you allow pride to enter, destruction is always going to manifest. Anytime you allow pride to enter, destruction is always going to manifest. You don't get to just do what you want to do and be in ministry. Even now, I'm a grown man. I can do whatever I want to do, whenever I want to do it. But you know what I find myself doing? Anything that Pastor Edwin asks or Pastor Sean asks me to do. And as long as they follow God, I will follow them. Because when we reject the word, we give space for unbelief. We give space for for new perspectives, and then we act in autonomy and we leave ourselves open for the attacks of the enemy to come into our life and destroy us. And in the year of great harvest, everybody could be harvesting, everybody could be increasing, but those who disobey the word of the house, you put yourself outside of the shelter, the covering of the uh, uh, of the protection of God, make yourself subject to destruction because pride brings disgrace. And so that's where I want to finish it. And so what I'm telling you is this. 
If you've been operating in pride, ask the Holy Spirit, God, where have I been prideful? Reveal the areas in my life that I exhibit pride. Reveal the areas in my life that I, I exhibit autonomy. Reveal the areas in my life where I feel I, I, I exhibit self-exaltation, where I have centered myself and pushed you to the peripheral, God. Reveal those things to me so that I could be somebody who always exhibits humility because the Bible says those who are humble will be exalted. So God, I thank you that I humble myself to God and I humble myself to the man and woman of this house. I humble myself to God and I humble myself to the man and woman of this house because FOC is an international ministry teaching people all over this world to walk in love, live by faith, and experience God's prosperity. We are teaching people to be champions and experience victory, and it requires every partner in FOC operating in their identity, operating in their role, and submitting to the man and woman of God to even be conscious to be obedient, even the smallest of things, such as showing up on time for church, such as fasting from 8 to 8 on from Monday to Tuesday, such as going to Christian Valley Worships at 9.30 on Sunday, such as being on virtual uh, service at 10 a.m. on Sundays, such as coming to Wednesday night Bible study on Wednesday nights. Find yourself being obedient and you will always find yourself in provision. When you find yourself being obedient, you will always find yourself in provision. So I thank you for hanging on with me. I know it was longer than usual, and we got a lot of more work. Next week's going to be great, guys. We're going to walk out this pride. We're going to come out people who humble ourselves to God, and so he may exalt us, all right? So let me do the announcements. Today's Wednesday, Friday night, Marriage Essentials, this Friday. It is a cost. It's $25. It's via Zoom. Pastor Sean and Pastor Edwin will be conducting Marriage Essentials. If you are living and breathing and desire to be in a relationship, already in a relationship, divorced and want to be in another relationship, single and looking, committed, you should be there. They got practical ways for us to to divorce-proof our marriages, to have not just good relationships, but great relationships, and make it a date night, and it'll be fun. That's Marriage Essentials this Friday, $25. Uh, you can go to shunstrickland.com, I believe, and register, or you can just Google Marriage Essentials through Facebook. All right, Sunday Worship, 9.30, Kristen Valley Worships. Come join Pastor Chris on her page, Kristen Valley Worships, at 9.30 for uh, worship, and then roll over to the FOC page, via Facebook, uh, Instagram, I mean, several other platforms at 10 o'clock on Sunday. Then Monday, you got Mindset Monday. Go to Shun Strickland on Facebook, Mindset Monday, uh, each Monday at noon. Um, and then Tuesday night, we have prayer at 8 p.m. Now, what I want to do is invite all of you, whether you're a partner, a virtual partner, just on my personal page listening. We fast every Monday from 8 to 8. I mean, it could be a, a just a no pleasure fast, right? Say I'm gonna I'm gonna abstain from uh, eating desserts or no sodas, but fast from 8 8 p.m. I mean 8 p.m. Monday night to after prayer on Tuesday night, and then and join us for prayer Tuesday night at eight, and then be back here Wednesday at 8:30, right? So those are our announcements uh, for this week.
And so I, I am grateful for the time that you spent with me. I pray that the word uh, will bless your life. I pray that we will expose the enemy uh, in our lives uh, and how he has tried to navigate through our lives uh, via pride. We cast down, we declare that pride is at Pride is ashes now in the name of Jesus. We declare that we operate in humility and obedience. And we declare that we do what God has us to do. And we understand that when we humble ourselves, then he will exalt us in due time. We thank you, Father, right now that you are Lord and that we close the door to pride. We, we declare that right now that we submit ourselves to your will. We submit ourselves to your ways. We submit ourselves to our spiritual advisors and we follow them as they follow God. And we declare that we'll be the better because of it. And this is the way that you have set up the kingdom and we embrace it for our lives in Jesus' name. All right. So be grateful. Make sure you breathe. Make sure you take time away from social media. Don't be creating anxiety from yourself. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. I love you guys with all my heart. Thank you so much for joining us uh, at Fellowship of Champions. We're teaching people to walk in love, live by faith, and experience God's prosperity in every area of your life. Be blessed, remain grateful, and stay hungry for the Word of God.